Welcome everyone to Crushing Comics. We are here today to talk about X-Men and in particular continuing our reread, our epic X-Men reread of classic Claremont X-Men. So we are going to be talking about Uncanny X-Men 94 and 95 as well as some backup stories from classic X-Men 2, 3, 5, and 10 today. While it sounds like that should only involve spoilers for these classic issues, we are definitely going to be reevaluating them in the light of Jonathan Hickman's House of X, Powers of X, and his Dawn of X. So while we'll try to not spoil anything that's brand new without a disclaimer, we are going to be talking about some new comic books as well. So with that out of the way, let me welcome my two favorite friends and mutants from around the world to talk to, Tyler and Freya. How are you this fine day? I'm good. It's Friday evening, so that's the end of a long week of work at home. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here to Excellent. talk about some things that I really like. Yes. Freer, how are things with you? Are you are you and the cat holding up and you're quarantined together? Yes. So, I mean, my cat is actually my co-host. She's sitting right here. She's actually sleeping. I need to wake her up. But, you know, she's just here uh, listening to me talk about uh, X-Men. And um, I have a lot of thoughts today. So I'm excited to talk to you guys about it. I mean, this is my first time reading it. I know this is your eighth and ninth and, like, you know, hundredth time. For me, this is my first time reading this. So I have thoughts. I have lots of thoughts. I, I am I'm so getting ready. I'm so that. ready to share. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, I had to actually think a long time in terms of like, okay, how to present all the thoughts that I have about this. So I don't know, maybe I'll be rambling a lot, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Okay, wow. Well, just to remind everybody, so Freya just mentioned that Tyler and I have read a lot of X-Men in our time, and uh, some of these issues you're reading today, I have so many copies of in my house, I was trying to figure out how many, it's a number. Uh, but Freya has never read any classic Claremont, so we're approaching this not from a place of um, encyclopedic knowledge where we're going to catch every single reference, we're kind of approaching it from a little bit of a spot of like, what is it like to introduce one of our good friends to something that we love, and does that thing that we love hold up after all these years. So, I mean, issues 94 and 95 form one story is the X-Men battle Count Nefaria uh, almost by accident as they get summoned since the Avengers are busy and he's threatening the world uh, to be held as nuclear hostages until each country will pay him according to their ability to pay, which seems very egalitarian to me. But why don't we <laughs> start out with Faria's first impressions before we dive too much into the specifics of these two stories that work as one. So my one question, uh, I kind of mentioned it in the chat, that is like, what is Avengers doing that they cannot come when there is like a nuclear threat, threat of this level? Like, what are they doing and why I'm not reading that story? But that's just a joke. But the second thing is, I was actually thinking it more in terms of like, because I started, like, I read so many of the modern X-Men stuff and then especially with the Hickman X-Men that kind of brought us together again uh, and how it changed the status quo. Um, going back to read this story is kind of felt strange after all of that because it almost to me felt like, okay, um, we have all met each other as adults, like, you know, over like last three years, we, which we mentioned uh, before. So it's like, it's almost to me felt like, okay, now I'm doing a time machine, taking you guys back as a time machine as my time as a kid and how I'm growing up, which begs the question, does that need to happen? I mean, why can't I just tell you that? Like, you know, little interesting tidbits. So I, I don't know, like I'm having to kind of constantly remind myself, okay, this all happened before. And I just having to like constantly remind myself that even though maybe th a lot of things have changed, just take it as it is. But for some reason, it's not sitting well with me. Hmm. Like, I'm just like, who cares? This doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> like, you know, the the mansion, we, ha we have already seen the mansion is like completely destroyed now. They don't live here. They don't, none of this matter. Like, you know, so it just, I don't know. I mean, I, it, I'm, it's, it's been difficult. It's been difficult, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad that at least we're doing this. So you guys will be probably able to tell me some things that I've missed and then make it worth, like, you know, make it more interesting <laughs> than 
what my read-through has been. Well, I think there's a really interesting aspect to that because I think you have to ask yourself about that a lot while reading old comics. Of course, you can just love them for the joy of them. But sometimes, you you know, you ask, like, does is any of this going to be referenced anymore? Not even referenced because, of course, in DC that wouldn't happen. But um, you would you could also ask yourself, you could also ask yourself, has has a lot of this been superseded with better modern stories, right? And I definitely feel that way sometimes when I'm reading a lot of solo characters where I'm like, this is nice and all, and I do really like Bronze Age comics, but there's so many more definitive modern runs. Is there even really a point to reading this anymore? I think specifically and when it I, comes been, to act... Oh, go ahead, Freya. No, no, no. I was just kind of th- say that. I've been thinking about it from, like, you know, um, Ed Brubaker's Captain America run. That's the because exact thing when I he- thought of when I said that. Right. Like, you know, because the thing is, as you can see, they're right over there, all of them. Um, but it's just, well, I don't know. This is a podcast. You can't see that. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, I was saying that, you know, Imagine, it's like... picture it. Yeah, picture <laughs> it. Surrounded by every Jonathan Har- uh, Hickman and Ed Brubaker hardcover and a perimeter That's... around her, her shining hair. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, I was thinking about it, like how when Brubaker wrote his run, even though the Captain America has been here around since like 1940s, he actually recon- like, you know, kind of talks about those old war stories in within the context of his own stories so that it's like different. You're picking up different context from that time and then how it's like kind of matches with the current time. And I, I don't know whether Hickman did do that or didn't do that or did just enough that none of this now matters anymore. So (laughs) that's kind of one of the reasons I was having a hard time digesting these stories. Well, I mean, the the relationship still matters. The the friendship that developed throughout this entire um, run and the um, the characterizations of of, of certain characters, the the form, the um, well, I mean, I think I think it plays a really important role in the sense that it it defines the X Men as like family, and hmm. it doesn't matter whether your family is living in in a mansion or on an island, you know that 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 definition that the 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 interpersonal relationship I think matters a lot, and I and I think. Um, not just Hickman, but um, a lot of writers that are on docs right now do reference um, pretty heavily to some of these um, characterizations and relationships that have been, um, that, you know, is developed pretty much primarily by Claremont. Yeah, I and completely agree on the, that. Tyler got to the heart of where I was going with that, which is that unlike if you're reading Avengers or something where maybe one of the stories gets relevant because a plot hook is similar, you will find with this Claremont X-Men material that some of these stories are relevant because of of one character beat that happened in them that has become permanent, you know? And we see that in some of the character beats here. I mean, we get the beginning of Cyclops versus Wolverine. We get the beginning of Colossus kind of acting as everybody's brother because he's like so full of compassion. Even this early in Claremont's run where a lot of the characterizations are we could say inconsistent now with the benefit of 45 years of history. Just, yeah. they're not inconsistent. They're just Claremont figuring it out at the time. But even with that, the seeds of it are kind of borne out here. So I think X-Men is unique in almost any comic continuity of almost any ongoing comic that you will actually find stuff in the, in the run from 1975 to 1981 or 1991 that, um, that resonates still. And, I, and that would be a fun game to play, right? As we're continuing to read these, like to pick out what is what happened in this story that actually is still relevant to today. Mm-hmm. But before we can even get into all that, we start the story with this giant pile of X-Men, right? We ended giant-sized X-Men with this huge mound of characters, everybody except yeah. for Beast. Immediately, Sunfire is like, see ya. He calls them an idealistic pack of <laughs> fools, which could be the subtitle of X-Men on many runs, right? X-Men, that idealistic pack of fools. Banshee tries to tag out of the team by saying he's too old and, I quote, barely literate. 
which I think is an interesting take on Banshee to see how he kind of like evolves over time from being this like old beat cop turned criminal who barely read. <laughs> Whereas Storm is merely intrigued by the idea of the X-Men. Do you kind of believe this forming? Do you think the right... And then, of course, all the other the old X-Men leave, except for Cyclops, who yeah. can't tear himself away. Do you kind of buy this? Does it shake out in the way you think it could or should? Or do you think this is just editorial telling Claremont sweep away half of the characters? It, to me, it felt like that, because we talked about it before, is like they were not... The old X-Men were not very popular at this time. And then there needed to be some re like, you know, some rehauling of everything. And it almost felt like that. It's just like, you know, see ya didn't want to be ya and then <laughs> just go. I was actually kind of thinking more in terms of like how there was like this one um YouTube uh, channel called Honest Trailer. So they did the Honest Trailer for 1990s X-Men uh, animated series. And they talked about it and it kind of stuck with me. It's like for, uh, for a piece of like, you know, media, like an IP that tries to overcome stereotype, they do so much rely on a stereotype. Like every character that talks over here, they talk in stereotype here. Like, you know, the bad talk about Banshee or talk about like, you know, um, who, who is that one that left? Just said Sunfire. Yeah, the, uh, He's sun, like, this sun, samurai. Sunfire. Yeah. Yeah, this samurai is out of here. <laughs> like, it's like, it just, like, it feels like everyone speaks in so much stereotype. I mean, I kind of loved it. I was like, <laughs> so, like, you know, we have to make sure that people understand these are not white people. <laughs> you know, I'm oh constantly gosh. remind. Wow. <laughs> we have to constantly remind people that. <laughs> or like even if they're white but they're not American, then we have to remind them where they're from. <laughs> so it just felt really strange wordings at times. I was like, ugh. <laughs> to me, that's like but part it of the gave charm me a lot of it because like a lot of other comics would have that same level of stereotype to make the cast mm -hmm. seem different. But it is like this very white homogenous cast but at least in x-men they're using the stereotypes and the people are actually different you know yeah. it's like if you have hawkeye being a tough guy to cap versus you know the wasp versus like how different is that cast from each other compared to the x-men cast you know it's probably the most um geographically and 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 probably also ethnically diverse cast in comic books at this point in 1975 but like i mean if, if we talk about the art itself right if you look at the first page like I think it's brilliant, right? Oh, that's that he's, so beautiful. That he yeah. drew, he, he he construct a view such that you can see everybody's face using a mirror. I was mm -hmm. like, <laughs> I mean, uh, I have to admit, the first time I read this, I did not notice the mirror. Like the very very first time I read it. So so I was like, so when you know when when I reread it and starts to yeah, you know, and and that's when I started to appreciate more into the art artistry of, of, of every artist and not just, you know, and not just how they draw faces or body, you know, and that's when I started noticing things like that. And I mean, I just thought this is like pretty, really brilliant. And also I would say that, um, I don't think of Cockrum as somebody who draws really real to life faces as much, maybe because when Cockrum comes back after John Byrne, he has a very smooth way of drawing everybody that's like a little bit um, softer, maybe. I don't know. It mm -hmm. could be my imagination. We'll see if we get there. But on this page, he draws some really very true-to-life sort of faces, especially Colossus, especially Jean. And then how weird and demonic Nightcrawler looks jumps out at me much more. Whereas I think mm -hmm. over time, people mm -hmm. start to draw Kurt more as just a blue human but at the beginning Claremont or Cockrum who let's not forget was you know created the visual of Nightcrawler is still drawing him with this very demonic visage he's not just a blue dude he actually has very different facial features and facial structure and these giant eyes and this pointy chin you know yeah no I and agree then... um so go ahead no go ahead <laughs> No, no, I was just saying that, no, I, I agree with that because, you know, I was actually a little bit taken aback by the first page just because the, my eye just drew to um, Nightcrawler right away. Yes. And then I was like, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to, but, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, oh, what is this? And I, 
I'm used to seeing him more like a blue dude, like, you know, now. So I, it, if I, if you didn't kind of put that in context, I'm like, oh, this was a bad art. <laughs> but it kind of, kind of makes sense that, you know, when initially it was designed, he was designed, he was designed to look a little bit more non-human. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, Cochrane also loved his eyebrows. I mean, look at the strong brows on some of these characters. <laughs> very Whoa! True. Hold on, hold on. Now I'm going to look at... Ooh, yeah. You are right. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. People look at the... Go look at go look at Professor, a uh, Professor X's eyebrows. Oh, the whoa, eyebrows on Professor is... X. I, I love... I mean, we'll get to the next issue, but there's one giant, like, half-page splash that's just all eyebrows. They're, like, the whole feature. So, so look, we, we get this introduction. Um, you know, all of the classic team leaves, except Except for yeah. Cyclops, who gives Jean a passionate kiss goodbye, Sunfire leaves, and we're left with our famous core of remaining X-Men. Yeah. They go deep into a training montage, in, in, during which a lot of other things happen, and we'll talk about those yeah. classic X-Men issues at the end of this uh, episode, because there are some really interesting stuff to talk about in them. The only other thing that really happens here is in a very... 60s, 70s, silver and blonde, bronze age way, we get a somewhat ridiculous villain who has huge aspirations uh, and not a lot of why behind them, which is Count Nefaria. He used to be with the Magia, who aren't they effectively the mob? He And he's got the Animen, who are just these like animal hybrid villains. They kind of almost feel high evolutionary, sort of. But I looked mm -hmm. into it and they'd been previously appearing in Daredevil, of all places. And Claremont actually adds a female member, of course he does, uh, the Dragonfly lady. And uh, and so they've taken on this base, which is a real NORAD base. I don't know that it's really called Valhalla, but there is a real NORAD base in Cheyenne Mountain in the real world. And uh, he holds the world ransom. And so they uh, the army calls the Avengers because the Avengers are cops and the Fantastic Four are not. So, of course, they call the <laughs> Avengers. That's a joke. And, uh, and Beast, who's on the Avengers at this time, says, hey, we're not home. Can you X-Men handle it? You know, Freya asked, where were the Avengers at this point? They were in a store where they were fighting the Zodiac uh, who had a starship, but it was also in New York. I don't know. But they were busy fighting the Zodiac mm. is the answer to your question. <laughs> so Beast yeah. sends I'm his so old glad. team, who he's never met before, on this mission to save the entire world. I mean, is there anybody else that could be on call? You know, Avengers Fantastic Four, I guess there's nobody else to send in the Marvel Universe at this point. Yeah. I don't think there is at that time. No, there there isn't. But the thing is, like, I think what really stand out is like, um, Beast calls. It's like, oh, we need you guys to go. And then he's like, oh, who are these people? It's like, <laughs> these are, are X-Men. And it's like, oh, if you say so. Anyway, we need... <laughs> We need people to be sent over here. I thought that was fun. that was hilarious. That to me what? was pretty, pretty funny. Like it's just and like, hey, what are these people? Who are you? And, well, and, and yeah. the beast also looks really strange here to me. And he's actually read so. Yeah. Let me editorialize here for a second. Uh, yeah. So in the classic X-Men issues, and you have to remember that we are advising you to read those as you read along. That's yeah. what we're doing. Classic X-Men not only printed backups with these X-Men stories when it reprinted them, it actually made some extra pages in the middle of stories, and it actually also made some art and copy changes, or in Claremont's view, corrections. So there are some corrections that it made to this issue, and I looked at the side-by-side -side in the classic X-Men omnibus, and one of them is that Beast has been subtly redrawn to match how he looks in uh, modern com comics. Also, we get um, Storm's dialogue changes, because Storm grows to have this very royal, regal way of speaking. She very rarely uses contractions, and Claremont didn't have that on lock at the beginning. But he, So at the beginning, she does sometimes speak in that way, but classic X-Men kind of revises it. So there's no way to read that classic X-Men version of it straight through, but the yeah. excerpted extra pages are in the classic X-Men omnibus, and they are also on, some of them are in the copies that are on Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, so I think this oh. one is in Marvel Unlimited, so the the new version, and the the so-called revised version was actually the first version I read mm. because you, know, you read it in as, Classic X Men. Correct, because yeah. at that time there is no trade paperbacks, there's no Marvel Unlimited, and so the only way I could collect and read back issues was to buy Classic X Men, and 
I still remember that my very first classic X-Men issue is the arcade issue. And then I went back and, you know, whenever my local comic shop has a seal or something, I would buy some of these classic X-Men, you know, I, I'm, I was still a student then. So saving money and buying, buying up all those back issues until I have the entire run. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was so, so, so when I first read the original issue, which was probably a couple of years ago, in the uh omnibus volume one i was like hmm what? i don't remember <laughs> i don't remember the story being that choppy or that um you know like the voices were that off so and then you know and and, and finally figure out that oh because there were changes to the issue itself that claremont made after the fact yeah so, so claremont, in the marvel I think unlimited the... now so in marvel unlimited yes. now the Beast the classic X Men, the classic X Men number the... two. Uh huh. If you go to classic X Men and you read right. and and you read second issue, that one right. is the one that has all the additional pages and changes no, to the dialogue. I mean, and no, 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 I get that. But unlike George no, Lucas, Marvel has not replaced the original versions with yeah. the remasters. <laughs> right, but no, I was just saying that you know, in in this at least in this issue, uh, Beast yeah. looks no different than Nightcrawler, like it looks so very yeah. similar. They yes. look very similar. That's what I was I was gonna say. Like yeah. you know, it just it's just like two blue dudes. I mean, also at that at that, <laughs> I mean at that point in time, right? The X X Men is still not a, or, or mutants in general is still not a dirty word, right? So when when they showed up and tried to um, help the uh, the 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 guards that were the soldiers that were there, they made a comment. But you know they were they still would not be like, oh no, you're you're not welcome here. You know we we don't welcome your help. Yeah, it was much more like mutants, huh? Like it wasn't yeah. as discriminatory. No, no. I mean, I don't know which version I read. It's like, oh yeah, no, it the. Uh, the the soldier pretty much said, "I knew that your mutie is gonna show up." No, it's still very bad. It's still like they're still being treated like you know not very welcoming. It's like you know, but then hey, no, they were well, not treated all right, as son, heroes. Go ahead. For sure. It's like well, you, so we're to not go wasting. to the text, he says, "Figures, figures. I might have known right. you musies, you <laughs> figures. I might have known you muties would show up with Nefaria around." Which maybe is a exactly. dig at the fact that Nefaria has these mutant, you know, animal men, and the mutants are no different than animals, which carries a lot of um, loaded historical commentary with it in, ter- in terms of comparing a minority to nothing more than annuals, animals. So even though they're welcome to participate and not attacked, I think Freya's got a great point here where this is mm-hmm. not what acceptance looks like either. No, this is not, and it's from a three star general. You know how I know he's a three star? It's on his helmet. It's on his helmet. A three star general just called a bunch of people muties, and he's pretty, pretty much letting them in on this mission because he thinks that they're gonna die and he's not gonna waste his own soldier. That is not acceptance, people. Do not accept this as acceptance. <laughs> just kidding. So just a couple of other things, because the, the issue pretty much ends after that, right? They're in the Blackbird and they get shot down, pretty much is, is what happens after that. Yeah. But there's a couple of other things to note before we move on to number 95. There's the first of a long-running Claremont gag of having the captions mock Cyclops. Uh, so Cyclops is... is uh, <laughs> is sitting there like thinking about what he's going to do and he's like games some people some people like them some don't not cyclops and we'll get to the iconic mocking of cyclops uh in in captions pretty shortly and then the other thing is that um in the classic x-men insert into this which is of course not part of the regular issue we actually get more mctaggart two issues before she actually gets introduced yeah. uh basically you know getting a call from from the x-men in uh in her ro- rolling fields of Scotland. So let's well, move... and Rain too. Yeah, and Rain, Wolfsbane, who is her charge, yeah. which we actually don't get introduced to until New Mutants graphic novel, but theoretically would be there already. And so Claremont goes back, and that's what why it's called a retcon because it's retroactive <laughs> continuity. Okay, so we're gonna move on with one more comment to 95. The other comment is that as the Blackbird gets shot down here and we think the X-Men are in peril, Claremont refers to the dying Blackbird as becoming a phoenix. Because Claremont's got his tropes that he loves, and he's already seeding an 
ideas of a phoenix six issues before it happens. Let's move on to Uncanny... Oh, X. before we move on. Sorry, oh, sorry, sorry, sure. sorry. Before we, before we move on, can we also talk about that Professor X just constantly beaming into people's head all the time like you know instead of just calling he's just like cyclops meet me in the office and then he's always in people but then he was also super shocked when the x-men said older x-men says we are leaving he was like huh i'm like wait so what <laughs> are, are you in on this or are you not what's your deal and then she, like you know and also like we were going to talk about later in the reconstruct like you know it's like shouldn't you know all of this <laughs> anyway just I, I was just i was just laughing about it he's just constantly just beaming into people's head it's like hey come here hey do this like just, well just do an intercom system man like you have the danger room just do that well i mean if you talk you want to talk about professor hex like how how passive aggressive was he when he was trying to convince uh banshee he's like Oh, you, you have you have strands of white in your hair. What about me? You know that. <laughs> I thought that was funny. That I was, was like, really funny. you don't it's have like, any hair. What are you talking no, about? Well, no, that's what he was talking about. He was talking about like that you have as many gray hair as I do, which is yeah. like none, none right? Because so I'm bald. I, was, I know. Yeah, so I'm, I was like, ah. But you know, but it was hilarious. Passive aggressive, right? Can you help but like? Can you help but understand the more the modern? characterization of Xavier as this kind of like terrible person because even though here he's been written just as this like firm mentor figure like yeah, yeah in retrospect he's actually pretty terrible it kind of just flows it would be much harder to make him out to be caring than it would be yeah. to make him out to be terrible you know I feel like, you know, my idea of Professor X completely was, like, shaped by Patrick Stewart. And it's very difficult to not like Patrick Stewart, right? But then as you read more of the stories, you're like, oh, the movie really brainwashed you. That's not true, Professor X. And well, this is kind of continues on from here, too. <laughs> and there's one more tradition. Oh, well, I, would, I wouldn't say tradition, but one more thing that Claremont likes to do is he loves big words. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think, and for me, I got one one new big word here that I've never encountered before. It's like, coruscation. Oh, I had to, I actually periodically have to look that one up because I do forget sometimes what it means. <laughs> yeah. I was like, What does it mean? What does it mean? <laughs> I I, so here's the thing, I did not notice that is maybe because I don't actually read comics like like you know in that word for word like it's just like all just like ideas just like beaming up in my head along with the picture yeah. so I did not notice that well in this context it means glitter or sparkle yeah something that's coruscating is kind of like um, flashes of, yeah. of light or ca cascade of light although it can also mean um it, like a sudden strike of something a coruscation yeah. but it's it's yeah. derived from light um and yeah. which is like in Star Wars the one big the planet of the big city is called Coruscant right because it's like a city of lights mm. okay oh. so now we're really moving on to to number 95 here yeah. and number 95 it's pretty much all action right it starts with them falling out of the sky after having been shot down. We get a very kind of Bronze Age, everybody gets to show their power one time to help them get down to the ground and remind us who they are. They mm -hmm. they burst into the Nefarious Mountain and, and the action's actually pretty compressed here. They break into the mountain and all of a sudden the problem becomes that Nefarious getting away. Like they're like, what about all the other stuff? And Professor Xavier says, no, I psychically scanned the computer system, which we'll come back to. We should, uh, yeah. and, uh, once and every, again. <laughs> and, and everything's fine. Chase that jet. So, you know, this is, this is like very Bronze Age, right? Like one story kind of in a dreamlike fashion turns into a totally different story and the things that matter before <laughs> don't matter as much now. But what, you know, Freya, we'll start with you because you're our new reader here. You know, was there anything interesting, shocking, or awful about the second half of the story in Uncanny X-Men 95? So even I knew that Nightcrawler's power doesn't work that way because he's like, Nightcrawler, get in there. I'm like, no, he can't. He never seen that thing before. I even I knew mountain, that. I was like, no, it's not gonna work. Yeah, get in the mountain. It's like, no, he can't. He never seen that before. And I was expecting him to say that. And he's like, nope. Oh, what did he say? Is it as good as done, Cyclops? Yeah. I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> no. What <laughs> about the again. one? What about the part where Cyclops says, "Oh, Nightcrawler, you can teleport yourself onto 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 the ground." Yeah, and onto the, the temporary side. Like, he's no. like, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I was also kind of laughing at that. I'm like, why is everyone talking as if like they're just they're just standing like standing on the in the air? And <laughs> <laughs> they're all falling, and then they're talking, and then also like the timing doesn't add up. It's well, like you to- cannot talk that fast <laughs> with that timing. So. Maybe maybe they have achieved like terminal terminal velocity. So so they to them they are like not moving at all. Everyone is stationary. I don't know. I mean, it's super nitpicky, right? It's like eye roll worthy nitpicky. Yeah. I mean, it's like okay, it's it's for kids, and you know, it's just like you shouldn't be caring about that. But I couldn't help but laugh. Yeah. I'm like, oh. and then also like you know, uh, Proudster and Wolverine is having like a whole like you know man off or like who's is bigger constantly <laughs> that i was rolling my eyes non-stop and we have i, I think we kind of mentioned it. it's like i mean you know we we're gonna talk about like you know he passes away in this one but my god that man he just constantly like yells at everyone in stereotype and it was like please stop like it's it was very insulting i'm sorry it's like yeah like if what if like you know some white person tells you like names because of your you know native american origin how's that gonna sound like he calls um banshee shamrock (laughs) i was like what no stop stop well he also calls he also calls like i mean he also keep calling Cyclops one eye. Yeah, but then that's like more of an individual rather than a nationalistic okay. <laughs> thing. If you know what I mean. Like, I'm all for if you're like calling people like, you know, blue skin. I don't know. Oh, oh, call, <laughs> what? I'll call you Banshee like Screamer? Yeah, Screamer. Call that. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, or like, you know, sh- yeah, but the thing is, like, you're just, like, calling people's nationality out, left, right, and center. I was like, uh, once again, we have to remind who's from where. <laughs> like, that's why. Like, Shamrock. Oh. Well, I think that there's, I think that there's two big topics teased out by that kind of amusing passage, and they're probably the two big things to talk about in this issue. One is... Uh, you know, Thunderbird in general, and and also how Claremont kind of goes back and tries to repair that over the years, especially in some of these classic X-Men issues. But then mm-hmm. the other one, and we could talk about this first, is just that we don't know how all these powers work yet because they're they're brand new characters. This is their third appearance. Claremont devotes a whole page of the classic X-Men rewrite to explaining why <laughs> Nightcrawler should be able to teleport into the mountain because he's clearly mortified years later by the fact that he like broke one of his fundamental rules of Nightcrawler in the beginning. But even Nightcrawler telling Nightcrawler teleport these other people out of the air, his major yeah. complaint is that is the velocity issue. But really it takes 40 or 50 issues before teleport he can reliably teleport other people and not be near death. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's plenty of rules kind of broken here. Storm creates a flash flood in the middle of the station, not just rain, <laughs> but a flood. And like you have, you know, not long from now, Claremont will start to like really ex- make excuses for like, there's just enough air in the shuttle for there to be an atmosphere to storm different. But yeah. nope, not here. Storm causes a flash flood, you know, like, yeah. so he's definitely taking some time to get a handle on how some of their powers work. And of course, Colossus, who's been written as almost like totally invulnerable just because because he's still here. I don't know that we would like drop Colossus out of a plane. Well, I guess that still happens in modern comics. It but does. I just thought it was funny. I mean, I feel like in a modern comic, we would have dropped Wolverine. They would have been like, let yeah. Wolverine fall. He'll <laughs> be goal. fine. You know, yeah. Colossus power down. Storm will get you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then also like, you know, I was also remembering that how Wolverine is supposed to be super heavy because of his, um, his, uh, skeleton and then this right, year yeah. he was just being carried around like nobody's business like you know <laughs> people were just having no problem carrying him around um i also want to mention though it's like what is this um facility where they have very weird gas running through the pipes i mean this is for his engineering corners <laughs> that should not happen <laughs> <laughs> you cannot just have gas like that can affect people like it's that. It's like just anesthesia gas. Like, oh, let's, just, let's just open up the <laughs> pipe with the anesthesia gas that, that helps everybody sleep at night. Like, why is it? it, in, why is it yeah, it, it, it doesn't have work like that. Like, you know, the amount of compressor you need, the system you will need for that, no one will design it like that. So it's just like, what is this? <laughs> but it made me laugh and that was good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this this is kind of like a 
sort of a trademark of of, of early Claremont, because oh, yeah. I think as as I mean you have to remember that this is probably one of his first um, writing assignment um, like on a full time basis, right? I think yeah, he yeah. did some small one-time stories here and there. Am I right, um, Peter? I believe so. I will I will fact-check that while you continue to chat. Yeah. So I think, I mean, he he's not only tr- learning about the c- characters or defining the characters. He also le- he's, just, he's also learning about his own writing skills. So, and you can see that he will improve tremendously when the next artists um, join him. I think those and, and- two work very well together yeah uh, and, John and Byrne. to be honest though it's... i mean i'm no i'm just saying that in to be honest like i'm not like you know making fun of like not i'm not criticizing his writing because it's like yeah. it's also very much like brown like that era comic like it's just no, it is. simple things like you know just for kids like you know mostly for kids so it's just like very simple things so you don't have to overthink anything like it's like now we're all like cynic weirdos that we are like oh that's never gonna work but uh, come on i shouldn't be saying that <laughs> but but it's really so first of all he had written some scattered singles for marvels before this but he not really had like a, a run necessarily yeah. uh but he's he'd written enough that i think mar- people who read marvel would have been like oh claremont like he had more than an issue or two okay uh so the other thing though is freya it's funny that you say that because he turns into the most complex writer and it's and as tyler said it's very much linked to the artists right so he's got this original run with cockrum then be with burn for a while and you'll see his his writing just changes burn forces claremont to write differently and then post burn when cockrum comes back he writes differently and and you know this x-men run is blessed by big swaths of artists and they're all pretty talented and you i'm very interested to see your reaction because to me rereading it the last time i've reread it i really feel how much his writing style changes when the artists Mm -hmm. change so um if this feels a little bit simple to you just know this is only his first form uh and yeah i mean i'm excited to see how this goes i mean you know i have to i have to uh, and like you know kind of find get to that point where like, because i kept on thinking why people like this <laughs> so <laughs> i need to get to the point to understand that no i mean just imagine right that my first um exposure to x-men like my very first exposure to x-men is uh dark phoenix saga and me, well, at that point quite, yeah huh I was going to say me too, but like not quite, but not one quite. of my earliest ones, yeah. Yeah, so for me, it's more like, at that point, his writing is, um, I would say, significantly different from this. So so when I first picked up my my very first, um, not, let's not talk about Giant Size X-Men because it was not written by Claremont, but when I first picked up um, Classic X-Men number two and I read it, I was like, hmm, that is <laughs> very different. <laughs> <laughs> and you know and, and 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 the narrator like the caption um and things like that is it, it it still feels really odd to me like very um what i would define as silver agey you know mm-hmm. so um like you, you have someone like shouting at you like certain things and i was like that's very weird that that is very true but, but while we're yep. talking about the creative choices here, I do want to highlight the colors a little bit. So the colors here are credited to uh, Petra Goldberg, not a colorist I'm specifically familiar with. And I think it's really interesting because when we read Bronze Age comics, a lot of times you tend to think about the color work as very utilitarian, right? The characters are the colors they are. The world is the colors that you know it is. And sometimes it uses some impressionistic you know, pinks and purples, but it's kind of just like colors are colors. But there's a couple points here that are like really painterly and um much more uh i don't don't know how to describe it like when they're falling through the air and the ground is below them it's not just like there's like tree tree mountain it's kind of this like swirl of colors that if you kind of step back from it makes up the the ground but if you get close up on it feels more like a swirl it's almost impressionistic in that way and then later at the end of the issue the famous xavier's eyebrows overlaid with the explosion of the plane that thunderbird is on it's just got it's got this rich purple field and then the eyebrows fade into the black of the smoke into the red of the explosion and even on the next page the actual explosion again has the swirl of kind of surreal colors and I think um, you know this is really beautiful and this is kind of my 
argument against things getting recolored in a modern context because even if the saturation values are a little bit heavier than we would have seen at the time on modern paper or on digital, this is these are like beautiful deliberate choices to show fire as a swirl of purple and red and not show like a realistic fire and like brown clouds of smoke, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why I love yeah. comics from this era because I love these colors. It looks I agree. really pretty on. It looks really pretty digitally, by the way. Like I don't well, know I mean, what, whether they made any change or anything, but it looks. They did not make pretty. any changes. It's just it just looks a little bit. I would say it just looks a little bit more saturated compared <laughs> to say if you have the floppy in New Sprint. Um, okay. So you know, so um, you may see Thunderbird's skin tone as really purplish. In some instances, you know, and um, and yeah. I, I mean that's usually I think the issue here, or you will probably see an oversaturated um red, because I think red doesn't turns out very well on newsprint at all, so they have to bump it up. Not just newsprint, but if you even compare it to like an omnibus or a Marvel masterwork, I have the third print of the uh, giant of the first Uncanny X Men omnibus in front of me, and I know Tyler, I think probably either has the second, third, or fourth print behind him, yeah. and I have it digitally on screen right in front of me. That yeah, the reds and the pinks, even though they're quite vivid on the glossy paper of the omnibus, are not as bold and and red as and pink as they are on the digital version. So there's mm-hmm. definitely some like absorption to paper aspects happening here. So. Because the you brought up color, Peter and Tyler brought up um, Thunderbird skin, so that's not his mutant skin. That's supposed to be his regular skin. Yeah, because that brings <laughs> up a whole lot of cool. That brings up a lot of kind of worms. You, you thought he was colored special because he's a mutant this whole time? <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, that's more of a coloring problem than a you problem. Let's roll into our Thunderbird discussion then. Okay, he's that's his mutant. It's part of his mutantness that he's a slightly reddish. Oh no! <laughs> okay, I'm gonna stop now, Peter. What you but what about the on? what about the backup story? Like when you get to the classic X Men backup story, I have a problem with the skin tone there because oh. it was really whitewash. Yeah, yeah. I mean, neither is good. <laughs> Well, I know. I like no, 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 no. But doesn't that point to you that something is wrong in the co- uh, the coloring instead of a mutant skin color? Oh, I didn't notice that much. Uh, I don't notice I this thing. Like, you know, I didn't notice that much because I was actually more interested into the backup, backup story. So I was just kind of flipping through. And then anytime there was like the... Uh, the caption box was different. I was just reading that those ah, parts. Okay. So okay. yeah, I was not doing a side by side comparison, which was kind of hard to do with like one iPad. And then Marvel Unlimited is not very kind in terms of having two things side by side. Anyway. Well, also I would say that you know this is a fun. This is something that it's not isolated to nineteen seventy five comics. We talk about it today. People mm-hmm. don't always know how to build colors to represent skin tones other than white skin tones. And of course, even in a comic page, what we, you know, white skin tone, I mean, Colossus is, uh, or Cyclops here is awfully peach colored, certainly a lot more than maybe a white person in reality would be peach colored. I don't know if I'm colored quite as peach as Cyclops <laughs> is here. But, I, you know, you get people who've never really given a lot of thought to how to represent the color of someone else's racial um, you know, skin on the page and you get, I think the storm's color takes a long time to settle in. And also at the time Mm -hmm. they were afraid of putting too much dark color on newsprint because of how much newsprint would soak it up. And so you see what storm will actually in these digital versions look like a little bit almost green because they're afraid to like use black ink to accomplish that. And so the brown of her skin is this, you have to think that ink at this point was just like a CMYK process. And so they're accomplishing that with like a lot of like yellow and blue mixed together to create green rather than like black whereas now you know things are are full-on um digital or actually this would have been built with spot colors but then converted to a cmyk anyway neither here nor there so now Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about our man thunderbird here does he have to sacrifice himself why does he sacrifice himself and let's start letting our appreciation of the backup stories bleed in a little bit here the backup stories help to explain better why he sacrifices 
I think it does. I mean, it 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 changes it changes the um, perspective of like I think without the backup stories and without the additional pages, Thunderbird comes across as being as trying to overcompensate for something to 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 right. to to make up for its own insecurities. But with the added scene that um that Claremont wrote as well as the backup story, it seems like. I mean, it added two facets to it. I think one is that it makes him feel... It, it's more like him feeling useless in the team and trying to contribute as opposed to him overcompensate because he of his own insecurities. So there's a subtle difference here because here he's trying... I mean, the, the, the added scenes make him seem like he's more of a team player trying to contribute as opposed to just himself, always about him. And then the second thing is just a tiny scene in the backup story where there's a photo of him um, being in the army yeah, and a comment really. that yeah. and a comment that he actually joined the army as you know younger than he should because he lied about his age. And mm-hmm. that sort of, you know, is there something like a PTSD or something to do with that, you know, or 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 him feeling alienated after seeing the horrors of the war and then coming back to civilian life and not fully adjusting back to you know the the life that that he had before he 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 witnesses all those killings in in a war and then also to the to that point though it's like um at that time at that era like you know um non-white american joining american army was not very very like you know it's not was not was the word for it like it they still feel alienated within the army you know so the thing is that i was actually thinking more in terms of that that because he was honorably discharged it says uh but he was also like you know i think his brother james uh either his brother or Uverain, one of them says that you know we don't know what happened to you at that time so maybe he was alienated within the team even at that time and when he's joining this new team and who are more in line with, at least identifies with one idea, one part of his identity, it still didn't, he still didn't fit in there. I mean, without that backup issue, this whole, this issue of like, you know, like his sacrifice means very much, gets an eye roll. I'm sorry, but it gets an eye roll and it just feels like, oh, he was just competing with Wolverine and he was trying to show off. But with that backup story, this takes a complete different meaning and it actually makes it a heroic sacrifice rather than just a dumb idea gone wrong. Yeah, and you know, Claremont, um, for all of his efforts towards having a diverse cast, sometimes struggles in getting right the cultures that he's trying to portray people being from and you know bless him for giving us this cast that can be you know contextually used in modern terms but sometimes he gets things wrong and i i think we have to hold him to account when he does and his thunderbird characterization is pretty much all pride which works to a degree right like he has this moment with you know xavier written by len ween and giant size where he's like what is the white man kind of ever given to us only pain and right. but claremont relies really hard on like all indian or indigenous american people need to be prideful and he kind of goes back mm-hmm. to that well repeatedly in the future maybe with a little nuance that he does here but i do feel that he kind of takes some responsibility for that to, and tries to repair it in classic X-Men number three's story, which we're clearly referencing here with his funeral, not only because he kind of reads in that PTSD quality, which I got as well. And all the, th- I think Freya addressed it so perfectly. I'm not even going to try to say it any better than she did because I can't, but also by introducing his brother who later becomes Warpath, spoilers Freya, uh, and, and the nuance. No, no, of, I knew that. Okay. Okay. Uh, and the nuance of how, different he is from from Thunderbird and that he's not the same character. So I, I think Claremont in this instance actually realizes he made a little bit of a goof the first time around and he's trying to make something more of it. Before we get to that funeral story, he's going to put one more to, thing in. Yeah. Yeah, I just one more thing I just wanted to put and that's more of a Marvel Universe context that they did a very good job in terms of because war is such an integral part, like American war especially is such an integral part in uh, in Marvel Universe, especially from Captain America and Punisher. Uh, they did actually do a very good job in um into portraying different races um 
experience as mm. um, as U.S. soldier. Uh, like we have truth, um, black and white truth. I think it's um, that shows like how Amer- uh, African American people were treated during World War Two. And I think so. It's kind of from that context because I read a lot of those. It kind of just makes sense that mm. um, you know a Thunderbird probably didn't have very good experience even in the army, despite the picture shows him with two of his buddies. Um, you know, it may have had some other uh, connotation behind that. Maybe we'll have one episode where we get free to read several issues of Marvel's famous war comic, The Nom, later on in this series <laughs> yeah. to get her interpretation. Freya likes war comics a, a lot more than oh, either love, of the wait, other what? I wait, love um, it. DC Comics has this maxi series called Unknown Soldier. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I heard was really good. I've never read them it because is. I'm not a fan of war stories. So It is. It I is? can guarantee that. Yeah. I okay. read all of them. Wow. That's, I, well, it goes to show our tastes are actually quite <laughs> different. So now let's dig into these three backup stories. Classic X-Men 10, 2, and 3. 10 and 2 occur during the training montage in Uncanny X-Men 94. Also, the backup story to number four does, but we're going to save that for our next chat because it was actually mm-hmm. paired with one of the issues in our next chat. Yeah. And then Claremont goes back and uses the backup story in Classic X-Men 10 to insert um, one of those two. And then finally, Classic X-Men 3 happens directly after this issue. Let's talk about Classic X-Men 10 first because this is the mm-hmm. kind of most straightforward story. It's Wolverine yeah. trying to enjoy a beer in New York City, but he's being haunted by the specter and also possibly the reality, we find out at the end, of mm-hmm. Sabretooth who had not quite yeah. been introduced yet. We will get there. He's introduced in Iron Fist number 14. Any mm-hmm. remarks on this one, or is it just like a nice slice of solo Wolverine? Well, I, uh... I think it is It is the point... Oh, I left Freya say first. You, you go first. No, no. I, no I, only thing I was going to say, I unfortunately didn't read this. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I forgot my homework. <laughs> but I read the other ones. Well, so on our schedule, these are marked speak. optional. You are going optional. to have yep. some some episodes where one of us decides to take a pass on the optional yeah. material. But Cle- but Tyler, who always brings receipts, has read it and has some commentary. I mean, this is uh, uh, this is the point where Sabretooth is still scary, is still terrifying, because he is he's he's the one person who who can defeat Wolverine and who can kill Wolverine. And this is, this sort of sets up a, I mean, this, I think this is written after Sabretooth appears. Um, so this is sort of a tradition, uh, which will be later established that Wolverine will face Sabretooth once every year and every year he lost, he, he, he lose. Yes. So that's the, until they sort of messed up the whole Sabretooth and depowered Sabretooth so much that, you know, that right now he's like, oh, you kill a human, so you're trapped in the pit forever. <laughs> yeah, so, that's what I was going to say. Until well, we'll, Sabretooth we'll, we'll has been there. taken off the yeah. board completely. <laughs> So, uh, so I don't think there's a whole lot more to say. It's a fine story. It does establish um, Sabretooth's extreme violence and misogyny towards women of all the people that he can mm-hmm. kill that are kind of wandering around in, in Wolverine's periphery in this brief story. He kills the one woman who speaks to Wolverine, which is, a you know, Sabretooth, yeah. part of the way he was written was he was written as this very misogynist um, rapist. I mean, that was just mm. kind of part of his characterization. And Gross. I'm sure Freya will share lots of opinions on us with us on that as we get deeper into Sabretooth. Sabretooth in the future. So then we also classic X-Men 2. This is an utterly gorgeous story drawn by John Bolton of Storm and Jean's friendship. It's interesting because Claremont kind of makes a shorthand for their friendship. We see it as early as what we'll talk about next time in Uncanny X-Men 97. Um, yep. It's clearly something Claremont had already planned in his mind, but it doesn't really come through on this page. And and But here in this story that he inserts, you know, a decade later, it's obvious that Storm and Jean were friends from the beginning, but they go through a little bit of a crucible with each other in this one. Uh, Freya, what did you think about this story in classic X-Men number two? Oh, I really loved it. Um, in terms of like, I like you know, I've been actually enjoying the classic X Men, the backup stories more than the actual X Men so far. Um, and then this one was particularly good because as of right now, those are the two. Other than Polaris, I think the two speaking 
Lady Hu- Lady X Men that yes. we have X Men we have seen, and then you know they get to do they get to do like both like you know some girly things like shopping because you know that's what we girls like to do all the time, and then at the same time they also get to like you know uh, fight a mugger and you know get like have a conversation about. Uh, personal boundaries because Jean seems to have taken Professor Xavier's mm-hmm. uh, Speak teaching on it to for heart <laughs> of like just just like you know intruding into people's mind all the time without asking for permission bad Jean bad um, but the one that really stuck out to me that Misty Knight was her roommate <laughs> I love Misty Knight and, <laughs> and then you know and then the, the whole conversation of like you know she's like oh nice name and you know I like your hair um that's something that happened to me. Like I met someone once, and that was the first thing they said. Great name, so great that hair. Made great me name. Laugh. Love your hair. <laughs> yeah, that so that made me laugh so much. Um, and then also, like you know, talking about uh, we talked about it before as well that um, how Storm feels about uh, what modern like Western society calls decency, or like you know, um, what is that word they use that. She's very quick to take off her clothes. Modesty. <laughs> you know, kind the of. The lack of modesty. 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 Modesty or lack thereof or maybe definition of it. Um, you know, she's like, yeah, you cannot, you cannot be here in your costume. She's like, okay. And then the costume goes off. And I'm like, wow. Like, the thing I enjoy about it. Robot. The thing I enjoy about that it is I think. That was like very funny. In some fantasy contexts, if you're writing that character, they're almost written as like dumb like it's it's written naive but also as like a lack of understanding like oh no you can't be naked here and they have this very kind of like adam and eve naivete about like why would i cover this um but that comes from not understanding but i think with storm i don't it doesn't i mean i get that it's rooted in certain assumptions that claremont is making about the cultures that she comes from and in Mm -hmm. where she came from in, in kenya and we could probably dig into that but at the same time i don't think he's ever writing it as storm not getting it it's almost that storm doesn't Mm. care she's like how offended are you gonna be like this is my culture this is who Mm. i am and i don't really care about your clothes which i think is just a more interesting beat to write even if it still has a lot of um assumptions baked into it i think it's an interesting beat to write rather than some character who's like naked why does that like it just see i don't know is it am i trying to give claremont too much credit is it really the same thing or is there a subtle line there to be honest, I don't know. I mean, I read Murders 13 recently. I know that storm. So I don't know whether that's informing my this storm. You know what I mean? If this is the first time I was reading it, which version mm. I would choose, which version of the narrative I would pick? Just is it because I know what, like, who Storm is and that the fact that she's not a dummy that I'm reading it this right, way? Right, which could be the I same for me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is written yeah, after like, after Claremont has wrote Storm for like what ten years, and, and I think then, she's like mm. the character with the most speaking bu- speech bubbles in his run yep. at this point. So he's written a lot of Storm. Yeah. The other thing that I get though, yeah. Because so in that case, who knows? The other thing that I got from Faria though about you know that the, here's these two women doing the thing they like shopping, right? But like they're not just talking about men. Like they're not just talking about like Cyclops or Colossus or Wolverine. Yeah. And it's only very briefly at the beginning here where Storm is the only woman on the team. Very quickly, we get Jean back on the team, starting with issue 98. And it kind of, as we go on, um, there's never really a time where we're down to just one woman on the team ever again. And Claremont never just has them there as people's accessories. And so I almost, again, because I know Claremont loves to be a revisionist, I almost see them as this as him rereading his early issues and being like, I shouldn't have let Jean leave so soon. I should have yeah. kept Jean so, so there w- it wouldn't just be Storm. And this is him like trying to repair that by giving Gene and Storm this really great, um, as they say in theater, forehander, where it's just two people interacting for the entire time. I think I I read an interview where Claremont mentioned that um, the the reason why Gene left was because those issues were plotted before he came on officially. Mm, okay. So he so he both him and Cochran really liked Jing and they would like to bring her back, which was why, you know, almost immediately <laughs> she's back with the team. But um I, if if I remember the correctly. But I, that sounds uh, familiar to me too. Again, we are not historians like some of these yeah. other X Men podcasts that you could go and listen to. <laughs> but we will occasionally know historical things. But like the 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 thing about John Bolton's art here is not is is that 
look at the facial expression, look at the body language. It is it is so good here. And he can do he can he can do them in like civilian wear, he can do them in costume, and I don't know, I, I mean I just really enjoy it. It's so um it looks so simple, but yet it is so good. He's very efficient with his line work. Uh, let's now move on. And also we get a hint of Storm's claustrophobia here, but I mean, Claremont inserts that in every possible Everyone. chance he gets. I don't think we talk about it every time. Uh, let's go to the kind of marquee event here. We've mentioned it many times. It is the backup that is in Classic X-Men number three, which is Thunderbird's funeral. And again, Jean turn, just turns up because Claremont's trying to get her back into things, right? Uh <laughs> We this has so much good material in it. I would say that this is like absolute required reading if you're gonna read Claremont. I don't care if you just have to go out and, and buy this one single issue or read it <laughs> on Marvel Unlimited or whatever. As much as we've enjoyed the other ones, to me, th- I've never read this issue before. And I was oh. just stunned by this story. Just absolutely stunned. Mm. I don't know, Freya, did you, what did you think about this? No, I mean, we talked about it just now. It's like, without this issue, the entire arc, like, very short li- living arc of Thunderbird makes no sense. Or, like, makes it just really a terrible characterization. Versus with this, a lot more nuances is added to him. And then also, like, um, you know, that there is, like, just not going to be one Native American character, but there are more coming. It's, like, also shows that a little bit. Um, and then, I mean, I also kind of liked that uh, we also begin to see that Wolverine's a soft exit, a uh, soft aspect of him, that, you know, he is, he was, like, always fighting with Thunderbird, but now he's kind of feeling a little bit more guilt towards it, which kind of becomes his trademark as we, as we go along. Um, but then all, and at the same time that all the team members had some moments that they thought back about their time with Thunderbird and which kind of is a question then, okay, they've been actually together for longer than just two issues, which feels like a couple of days versus more. Right. Was it per the training montage in uh, 94, it had been weeks and weeks or even as, you know, suggested by some other material, maybe even, you know, several months. And I yeah. think I think you bring up a great point about Wolverine. This is the kind of honorable Wolverine that Claremont starts to write late, mm. kind of in the 160s and 170s. He's kind of just seen as this constant warrior for so long, but this is a, a later version of Wolverine that really has honor and, and relies on his kind of code of honor. And that's kind of like post post um, Wolverine limited series with Frank Miller, in my opinion. And then also Banshee, who like feels some genuine anguish for not being able to stop Thunderbird. Banshee, I think Claremont never quite get a grip, gets a grip on. I guess we'll continue to look into that as we continue reading. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to have like a real moment of emotion from Banshee. And then the final thing that really stuck out to me is um, Thunderbird says, are we going to dude up in these skin tights and punch heads for Xavier (laughs) for the rest of our lives? And if we do, how long will those lives last? Which, of course, ties really closely to what Freya talked about earlier with his PTSD and his kind of feeling that, you know, not everybody comes back from these missions. I thought that was a really powerful panel, even though it was a really funny panel. It it actually was pretty powerful, too. I am going to, it's my life's mission now to use dude Dude up. up. Let's get dudeed up. In (laughs) like... Yeah, in like uh, just a normal day-to-day conversation. I, I'm not going to set it up. I'm just going to normally use it. Like, well, you know, just have to, like, this is my life's mission now. <laughs> Do it up. So Tyler, I mean, any parting thoughts on this one? This this um, story has so many um, small, intimate moments between the, between characters. And like, especially, of course, with, uh, with Thunderbird that you know is is like um i don't know i mean i I really enjoy it um like the fact that you know he they touch upon upon storm uh not choosing the room given to her and moved to an attic and then filled it up with like uh with with flowers because she's in touch with nature Mm -hmm. that will come that does not come on until quite late late i mean not not quite but you know sometime later where we are shown that and then um, there is this little um, conversation between Storm and Kurt about religion and beliefs regarding a dead body, which I thought was pretty on point as well. So um, that was, I mean, these are the things that I would like to add to, you know, what you both of you said so well earlier. And then also, like, like so far, I haven't seen Kurt being religious yet. 
So this was the first time, like, oh, this is where it begins. To be honest, though, guys, when you guys talked about the characterization or the team building that Claremont has done, to me, all of that happened in classic X-Men. As of right now, yeah. I am not seeing it in the Uncanny X-Men. And that's one of the reasons I'm just really like, oh, why? I, <laughs> I, I say to people Maybe. all the time when they're like, I'm going to start Claremont from the beginning. I'm like, here's the thing. Claremont is not necessarily great or infallible from the beginning and we're yeah. seeing literally a writer with of, of a decade of additional experience getting compared to his original work here and it's just noticeable for me claremont doesn't get super consistent until the 50s or 150s or 160s which is a long way from now we're gonna read some clunkers uh oh. as we go along but it'll be really <laughs> interesting to, it's encouraging to me how much you love the classic x-men yeah. issues because to me reading those that's claremont like, yeah. this classic X-Men number three backup story is, in my mind, what Claremont sounds like. So if you love that, eventually we're going to get to a point where you're yeah. loving this. And I think you will love his New Mutants. Because I think these backup stories are very in line with the the tone and the stuff that he does with New Mutants. Excellent. So, Free, are you, are you still Ooh, with I'm us? I'm super excited. Do we have you hooked? Are you going to come back for oh, another had... X-Men reread? No, no, I mean, we always talk about it, that X-Men are best together. And this is proving that again and again. Like, if I was reading it by myself, I would have given up by now. <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe if I was reading classic X-Men. But because we're reading it together and I'm learning so much, of course, I'm, like, super excited to uh, see where this is going. And, and I'm, like, you know, because I trust both of your t choices. So I'm, like, this cannot be the thing that Peter and Tyler likes. There has to be something more to it. Because if... Because if not, I'll have to reevaluate my friendship. Oh, so no. our friendship interest. I'm not looking to get canceled over any Bronze Age comic books. So it's, yeah. I promise it's going to I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you know, but that's one of the reasons I'm excited to read read on and then see where this goes. Excellent. Well, we're going to be back with yet another episode of us doing our epic X-Men reread. We're going to read, if you want to get ready to read along with us, Uncanny X-Men issues number 96 and 97 and classic X-Men backup issues four and five so until then thank you so much for joining us here on crushing comics and so much for going through this classic claremont reread everybody take care bye thank you bye